how to know the will of God. When I was 18 years old, God had been dealing with me for years before I finally made, came to a place of making a decision to trust God and to give Him my life. If I could say two things that I exhort you with all my heart today would be to trust God and give Him your life. Oh, I went to graduation at Pensacola Christian College. They had an old boy up there that uh, had lost his ability to speak, lost his ability to walk, had to relearn to walk, relearn to speak. His name is Evangelist John Smith. He got up there with assistance and got up there and said, God is always good, and whatever, he's, whatever he does is always right. And man, that was that a lot of power from what that old boy had been through. And I remember uh, a shoemaker, the head of that thing, got up there and said, trust God and give him your life, and you won't believe what will happen, the good things that God will bring out. I mean, it'll be a long and it'll be a winding road. I heard that somewhere before. It'll be a long, winding road, but I can tell you, if you'll trust God and give him your life, you will not, at the end of that thing, be unhappy you did it. But I can guarantee you that if you don't trust God and you don't give him your life, at the end of this thing called life, you'll be sorry. I've seen some sorry Christians, but I've never seen a Christian who's sorry they were a Christian. If you'll trust God and give him your life, he'll guide you step at a time. What we're going to talk about this morning here is not any kind of new truth. In fact, if I do bring up some new truth after 2,000 years of preachers out there, throw me out. Because uh, everything is, has been revealed, is revealed, and has made known in these 2,000 years, okay? This is not new truth by any means. But when I was 18 years old, one of the primary things when I gave my heart to Christ, I, be, I said, I'm going to trust God. And I want to do His will. I didn't know what His will was. I had no idea what His 18 years old, looking at the world's kind of scary. You know, you, you know man, if you, watch the, if you watch the major media today, you are going to be full of fear. They are going to try to put fear that the whole thing's imploding, that everything's gone, that the whole world's going to, uh, we're going to nuke each other, it's all going to be over. But I've read the last chapter. I can tell you that ain't going to happen. You read the book of Revelation, and you read the New Testament, and, and we, we know, we born-again Christians know some secrets that those folks out there don't know. God has told us, uh, as Paul said, being confident of this very thing, which he would have, have begun a good work in you will perform it under the day of Jesus Christ. We have great security in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're out there without God, you're insecure and should be insecure. But if you'll find the will of God, brother, brother, there's no better place to be than in the will of God. Well, 18, I wanted to know, and I began to read the Bible and began to search out what is the will of God. And today, let me share with you, uh, by by way, I would have to say by me, you're going to probably call this a strange way, but take, take your Bibles to 1 Kings. You say there is, a, there is a 1 Kings. Yes, there is. 1 Kings. There's also 2 Kings because it makes sense if there's a 1 Kings, there should be also a 2 Kings. And there actually is a 3 Kings and a 4 Kings, but I'm not going to go any further than that. But anyways, uh, in chapter 13 of 1 Kings, I'm going to... Uh, read verses 15 through 22, and so if you take your Bible, 
to that passage because I kind of want you to have a place to stay at um, and, and be able to go back to. Let me give you a little history here. Uh, the children of Israel, which were 12 tribes, disobeyed God some 210 years. Uh, God divided after, after there was the first king Saul, the second king David, third king Solomon. Solomon went off, disobeyed God, got out of God's will. Got out of God's will and disobeyed the Lord. Thought he could do it. Thought he was so blessed that he could work outside of God's will, but nobody can. And God judged the children of Israel and took 10 of the tribes and divided them away from the two southern tribes. Rehoboam was the king of the two southern tribes, and Jeroboam was the king of the ten northern tribes. Now, had Jeroboam obeyed God and trusted him, Jeroboam's family would have gone on well. The ten northern tribes would have done well, but he didn't. Out of fear, he made decisions. And the Bible says God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power. And of the sound mind. Don't make decisions from fear. I've seen through the years here at the gospel, I've seen family after family make decisions based on fear. God doesn't make decisions based on fear because why would there be? Hey, perfect love casts out fear. If God's a God of love and he's got everything under control, I can trust him. I don't have to fear. I can trust him. And Jeroboam feared and he went to a place called Bethel which was the house of God. You know in the Bible, that's where Jacob met God on his way over to, over to Laban. And so he, he went to Bethel and he built an altar and he made a golden calf and he told the 10 tribes, we're going to worship God here at Bethel and a place called Dan in the very northern part. He also built another altar. Two places of absolute disobedience because the children of Israel were told, when you come to worship me, you're going to come to a place called Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, every male is to appear three times a year, and they're to sacrifice and bring their tithes and bring their offerings to me and worship me in a place called Jerusalem. God had a very specific place and a very specific way he wanted his children to worship him. But because of fear, Jeroboam said, if, if these people in my, in my kingdom, these ten northern tribes, ever go down to Jerusalem, you know, they'll, they'll become loyal to Rehoboam. And they'll come up here and guess what they'll do to me? They'll kill me, kill my wife, kill my kids, wipe me out. Fear. Fear. Didn't obey God. Fear made his decision. So he goes to Bethel. He goes to Dan. He makes an altar. I've been to the altar in Dan. I've seen it, the, the ruins of it. And he made these golden calves. Well, God got upset with that. And in chapter 13 here, 1 Kings, he sends a man, a man of God. He's a nameless man of God. No name just the man of God, was sent by God with very specific instructions. I want you to go to the altar in Bethel, and I want you to cry against it. And so he goes to, he goes to this place, and he cries against it. Oh, Jeroboam, you know, as the king is used to having some authority, puts his hand out to the man of God and tells him to, to, to you know, capture him or get him. And the Bible says his hand withered, and he couldn't draw it back. And, and, and the man cried out against it. And I'm going to start in verse 15 here. And he said, for the Lord shall smite Israel. For the read, oh, that's chapter 14. That won't work out. At least I know my Bible well enough to know that wasn't the right verse. 
But the high places were not removed. Nevertheless, Asa's heart, uh, that's not the right one either. 1 Kings chapter 13, that was a little portion of chapter 14 in my first reading and a little portion of chapter 15 in my second reading for you that want to know. And for you that thought I was perfect, which was nobody, let me see if I can get this. Verse 15 of chapter 13. Then he said unto, unto him, come home with me and eat bread. Now, the man of God was told by God, do not stay in this area that you go when you condemn the altar at Bethel. Don't stay there. I want you to go home, but I don't even want you to go home the same way you came. I want you to go another way. But whatever you do, do not stay in this area. This was the direct will of God. And we start in verse 15 with that. And they said, come home with me and eat bread. And I said, I may not. A man, Another man of God heard he was there, went to him, as, and, and uh, supposedly is going to help him. And so this, this other man of God who heard he was in the area said, come home with me and eat bread. And he said, and this is the man of God that was sent to the altar of Bethel. And he says, I may not return with thee, nor go in with thee, neither will I eat bread nor drink water with thee in this place, because that was the known direct will of God in his life. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, Thou shalt eat no bread, nor drink water there, nor turn again to go by the way that thou camest. And he said unto him, I am a prophet. This is the other man of God that came to him. I am a prophet also, as thou art. And an angel, look at that, an angel spake unto me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with thee into thine house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But... He lied unto him. You may want to underline that. So he went back with him. So this first man of God, this nameless man of God that had cursed the altar, believed the second man of God who had come to him and lied to him. So he went back with him and did eat bread in his house and drank water. And it came to pass, that as they sat at the table, the word of the Lord came unto the prophet that brought him back, the second man. And he cried unto the man of God, that came from Judah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, For as much as thou hast disobeyed the mouth of the Lord, and hast not kept the commandment which the Lord thy God commanded thee, but camest back, and hast eaten bread and drunk water in the place of which the Lord did say unto thee, Eat no bread, drink no water, thy carcass shall not come unto the sepulcher of thy fathers. In essence, you're going to die. First man of God got on his horse, uh, got on his uh, donkey, and on his way back home, a lion, lion met him in the way, you can read that later, and killed him. He lost his life after doing the will of God and fulfilling the will of God. He lost his life because his second so-called man of God came to him and told him, hey, God told me to tell you. How many times... Don't raise your hand. Has that happened to you? I've had it happen to me. I've had people come to me and say, God told me to tell you. I thought to myself, ding, 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 ding. It started, a little, little, little things started going off in my head. That's why God puts these in the Bible. He puts them there to warn us. So let me give you five ways this morning 
how to know the will of God. Number one, and the most important of all of them, is the first one. The first way to know the will of God is the written word of God. Now, I talk about this quite a bit, and I repeat myself, I suppose, in, in talking about it. But I think it's important to repeat. In fact, my mother, for some reason, thought I was a slow learner. If he's like your mother, my mother had these sayings that she had that she kept repeating to me over and over and over again. What I also learned was the number one uh, principle of teaching is repetition. And she kept saying this stuff to me. And, you know, as a young kid, most of you think, is this kid listening? But I can tell you, the kid's listening. It comes to me in the night, some of these things that this old girl kept telling me over and over and over again. And I'm, as, as I sometimes repeat myself to you, don't get upset when we say, praise God, he cares about us because he's trying to help you get it in, get through the darkness into the long-term memory. The first way that we know the will of God is the written word of God. It is the most solid, it's called the more sure word of prophecy by Peter himself. It's the most sure way of knowing what God wants you to do. And, and praise God, these, these people, the, the man of God in, in the passage there of 1 Kings, they didn't have what we have. We have, at a place we're at in 2017, the greatest privilege of anybody could possibly have. We have the finished revelation of God in written form. All the way from Genesis to the book of Revelation, 66 books, God has placed it in two different covenants, the Old Covenant and New Covenant. We know from the book of Romans to the book of Jude how we're supposed to live the Christian life. And then we have the cherry on top of the whole thing. We got the book of Revelation, which tells us how the whole thing's going to end. Woo, doggies. Folks, there is no excuse for you and I to get outside of the will of God. Now, I, won't, I would not want to embarrass you or not seek to hurt your feelings, but if I started going one by one saying, have you ever read the Bible through from cover to cover? You wouldn't believe how many people who sat in church, attended church, been members of churches, tied to churches, been participant in churches, even been deacons in churches that have not read this book, the revelation of God himself, his mind, the Bible says it's the very mind of God, it's the mind of Christ, and have not read this book from cover to cover one time. You would go, well, no wonder they're having trouble. Amen? No wonder you don't, you seem to be confused. Amen? No wonder you get deceived. Amen? God has given us this at high cost. This book did not come lightly. It has come at a high cost. Many men of God have been burned at the stake, slowly burnt to death because they believe this was the word of God. Um, you, every heresy out there tries to somehow destroy the credibility of this book. The latest on, uh, onslaught against the Bible is the multiplication of versions. You say, well, I thought versions would be a good thing. It's not. It creates confusion. Because 
Now there's the uh, good news from, I mean, there's, there's actually, uh, latest I read, over uh, uh, 200 different versions in English of this book. Which one do I memorize? Which one do I quote? Which one do I ingrain in my long-term memory? You got to decide on one, because I can tell you, having lived a little while, uh, that it takes a lifetime for this book to get in your head. It's not just an overnight process. Major denominations will adopt a, a, a version, and then 10 years later, they adopt another version. 10 years later, they adopt another version. Ten years later, they adopt another version. And I'm not telling this from theory. I'm telling you from what has actually happened in the last 40 years of watching. And pretty soon, they don't have the Bible memorized. They just have generalizations. Well, brother, if every word of God is pure, and I have every word of God, then I want to stick with the version that God's hand obviously has been on and obviously has touched. And I'm going to tell you with all of my heart this morning, it's the old King James Bible. Don't leave your mother. Because the old King James Bible, 400 years, no great revivals ever happened in English-speaking people that hasn't happened through the King James Bible. And you can figure out the few words you don't know. But man, stick with it. The written word of God, 95% of everything you need to know about what God wants you to do in this life is in the old King James Bible. It's there for you to have. Now, let me ask you a question. If I didn't go any further than this, what excuse you got? Well, preacher, I don't read well. Alexander Scorby, God bless him. He, many of you old folks know Alexander Scorby. When you hear his voice, it's like hearing the voice of your mother or like hearing the voice, in his case, of your father. You know, if my dad, my dad's been gone since 201, but if my dad would be in this group today and he would say, Billy, that's all he'd have to say. I'd say, it's my dad. I remember my, if my mother was in this, my mother's been gone since 208. And if my mother was in this audience and she said my name, I would know her voice. And I would say, Mom. And brother, you read the Word of God and God will speak to you. And Alexander Scorby, in 1953, I think it was, God moved that old boy to record in his phenomenal, phenomenal ability that he had to uh, narrate he recorded the entire King James Bible on tape. Probably back then on tape. It eventually went from tape to digital. Now you can go to a place called scorby.com and you can get the entire Bible read to you for 1995. Now if you don't have the 1995, Brother Moon does. And Brother Moon don't have it, I guarantee you, I know Barrows has got it. Barrows has got the first dollar he ever made. Him and Gillespie, they got the same gift. But I'm going to tell you, don't, there's no, you're not, you, someday do you think you're going to stand before God? Someday you think you're going to stand before God? Hey, man, what excuse are you going to give him for not reading? The revelation, he'll say, he'll say, God, I didn't know what you wanted me to do. You didn't read? 
Bible. Oh, but I was tired at night. You think that's going to fly? Uh, I worked hard. You think that's going to fly, folks? You know in their heart of hearts that no excuse is going to fly before God when he gave you the number one way to know his will, the Bible. I, I could. This old red-faced Baptist preacher will, will cry and scream and jump up and down because I know if somehow I can move you to just read this book, it will transform your life. You say, but I go to church. Not enough. You need to read the Word of God. You need to read the Word of God. It's just something you got to do. Uh, whew, just read it over and over. The second method of knowing the, word of, the will of God is the Holy Spirit's leading. Now, if I may say, I started out with the best way, the most solid way, the most repeatable way that will last through the centuries is the written Word of God. But from that, that 5% I was talking about, these other four areas will help you. Number one, or number two, number three, number four, number five. Just seeing if you're awake there. Number two, <laughs> the second method is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, before they had the written word of God, God came like to this man of God that I read about in 1 Kings chapter 13. The Holy Spirit came to the man of God. What was that? That was God directly communicating with people. That's the way, for a, a lot of the history of the world, that's the way God communicated. He communicated through his spirit directly speaking to certain individuals. It, in, the, in the writing of the New Testament, the book of Acts, they did not have, in the, in the book of Acts where it talks about the first 100 years of the, of the early church, they only had the Old Testament books, the 39 books of the Old Testament. They had those, and they were, had been recorded already. But those people in the, in the first 100 years did not have the New Testament. The New Testament wasn't really solidified and organized and put together by God until probably, uh, well, officially in 400, but they had it in 200 and 300 also A.D. But most of the time, they had to rely on the Holy Spirit. But there was some danger there. Take your Bibles, if you have them, to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 20, 21, and 22. There is a warning, a stringent, strong warning given to the people of God through the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch is the first five books of the Bible. Those were the first written books of God's Word. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They were the books given through Moses at Mount Sinai there. That God gave him this writing and uh, called the Law of Moses. In, in chapter 18, verse 20, 21, 22, it says, But the prophet, which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall do what? Die. And thou shalt say in thine heart, How shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken. Okay, so if a person comes up, we get to, we have this in our day. We got many of these TV people are heretics. They, they are false prophets. Jesus said there would be many come after him saying this and that and being false prophets. 
How do you know they're false? They violate the word of God. He says, and these people said the same thing. How will we know when this guy rises up and says, I'm speaking for God? How will we know? Well, verse 22, when a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that thing which the Lord hath not spoken, but the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously, thou shalt not be afraid of him. Basically, he says, if they get up there and say, God uh, has given me a special revelation direct from him, and he says this or that, if it doesn't come to pass, remember now, they don't have any other part of the Bible. If it doesn't come to pass, don't be afraid of him. It's not from me. It had to be 100% of the time. People say, well, this guy, 80% of the time has predicted this, or 60% of the time has predicted that. He's still a false prophet because God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't do 7 out of 10. God doesn't do 8 out of 10. He does 100% or it's not God talking. The beauty of where we're at in 2017 is we, can, we have, when somebody says, I'm speaking for God, we can go to this book and say, are you really speaking for God? Well, if you're speaking for God, you're not going to contradict this because it was God who inspired it. So if the Holy Spirit of God inspired this book and holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, all scriptures are given by inspiration of God. And so we know that God, the Holy Spirit, inspired this book. And every jot and tittle, every little mark of it has been preserved by God because he's the God of all that is. He doesn't have a problem doing that. If somebody comes up and says, uh, God's speaking through me and it contradicts this book, we can say that person's not of God. It's not that hard. But my first point has to be done before the second point can be accomplished. In other words, if you don't know this book, a guy can come up to you or a woman can come up to you and say, I'm speaking for God, and you won't know whether it's God or not because you don't know to compare it to the book. So what makes the first point the most important point is that you got to know this book to protect yourself against false prophets. You say, well, are there false prophets? They're everywhere. All through this book, it says there'll be many false prophets rise up. Peter talks about it. Paul talks about it. Jesus talks about it. Shouldn't be surprised about that. The third way that we can know the will of God, and really the fourth way, they're related, is in finding God's will, is consulting the authorities that God has placed over us. Take your Bibles, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. We're doing a little Bible study here with a conclusion at the end. Every born-again Christian should be scripturally baptized and a member of a local body of believers. I've said that my whole life. I've spent my whole adult spiritual life encouraging people to be born again, scripturally baptized, and members of local churches. I've run into folks going door to door that said, I don't believe in the church anymore. Then you don't believe in something Jesus died for. For what's the church but a body of believers? But the body of believers, the local church, has been placed as a sanctuary, as a protector, as a, as a, to keep the word of God pure and right from pollution. It has been given deacons. It has been given pastors. And, and those that have been called of God and placed by God, and by the way, inspected 
and their lives have been looked at to make sure that they're not false prophets and that they are doing right. And in verse uh, 7 here, Hebrews chapter 13 says, Remember them which have rule over you. I wouldn't doubt that there's some people in this room that have nobody that they consider that has rule over them. Think about it. Nobody has rule over me. Well, then you're not in the Bible. You're not biblically under the authority you need to be. You say, well, I don't believe you qualify. Well, then find somebody that you do believe qualifies. That's the exhortation of Scripture. Remember them which have rule over you, which have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow. In other words, they've been examined. Their life has been looked at. They're legitimate. You say, there are charlatans out there. Yes, there's false $100 bills, but I bet you still use $100 bills. There's fake $20 bills, but I bet you still use $20 bills. My wife works at a bank, BB&T, and she can feel a false bill. I sold a uh, four-wheeler for $3,000. The guy came with 30 $100 bills. When he handed them to me, I handed them to her, and she went like this. Because one of the most counterfeited bills is a $100 bill. And she went, and sometimes they'll put two or three counterfeits in 30, and that way they get a three, $400 discount. Because when you go to the bank, they're not going to take them, and you don't, get, you don't get the money back. And so she went, they're all good. I said, okay, it's yours. I gave him the key, let him have it. And just because there's a bunch of false prophets, a bunch of charlatans, a bunch of crazy people out there, doesn't mean there's not legitimate people. Doesn't mean there's not real people that love God and are trying to do the right thing. It's no excuse for you and I to bail out on the local church because there's some bad ones. It's no excuse for you to, to, to come out from under authority because some authorities are bad. Amen? I speak the truth. Considering the end of their conversation or life. Now look in verse 17 in the same chapter. Obey them that have rule over you. And submit yourselves. Why? For they watch for your souls. As they that must give account. Oh, yeah. And they do it, that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that is unprofitable to you. So there are authorities. Romans chapter 13 says there's a governmental authority we're to be obedience to. Hebrews chapter 13, I just read it, said there's a pastoral authority. And by the way, also Matthew 18, there's a pastoral authority you're to be in obedience to or under their authority. Uh, in, in, uh, we have an authority of employers. That's found in Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. We have the authority of parents. That's found in Ephesians chapter 6. Ladies, you have the authority of your husband. That's found in Colossians 1.18 and 1 Peter 3.6 and other places. So the five major biblical authorities that we are to be under is government, employers, pastors, Parents and husbands, wives, are to be under husbands. You say, I, I, I have a 50-50 marriage. It's not a biblical marriage. There can be no ship without a captain. You don't have two captains on a ship. you got one captain. If you got two captains, one captain's soon overboard, and then there's only one captain. Amen? 
It won't work. You have to have a leader. Our military has a leader. Every division has a leader. Every platoon has a leader. Nothing works without leadership. And somehow we got a group of people that want to somehow live without leadership. And you see what happens. Chaos ensues. So we have wise counsel. That's the fourth and the fifth method. You seek your pastor. You seek wise counsel from these other authorities. And the fifth way to know the will of God, and if I may say this, the flimsiest, okay, is reading circumstances. Reading circumstances. Oh, folks, I wish I could take some time. My time's gone. I wish I could tell you how crummy reading circumstances is. How easy you can be deceived in reading circumstances. The devil has no trouble setting up a set of circumstances that will cause you to be misled. Uh, people say, well, circumstances have led me to make this decision. I say, well, have you read the Word of God, number one? Have you, have you really sought the Holy Spirit's guidance, number two? Have you, look, have you asked your authorities about it and said, what do they think about it? Uh, no, but circumstances are leading. I can't tell you how many people have, have moved through the years because of circumstances out of this area back to some other place and have called me on the phone. Over and over it happens. Preacher, I should have never done this. Well, you know, when they'd come to me and ask me, I would often say, I don't believe you should move. You should stay here. It don't look to me like this is, it's just, you're, because often those decisions are based on fear. Remember what I started with? Fear. Don't make fear-based decisions. I'm getting old. Don't make fear-based decisions. There's a God in heaven. This is some of the most volatile area, most dangerous area of finding God's will is through circumstances. Paul was going to Jerusalem. And he was going to Jerusalem because the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, had told him to go to Jerusalem. As he, as he met people on the way to Jerusalem over and over again, they said, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem because God showed us that when you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be bound there. You're going to be beat up. You're going to be hurt there. And he said, here's what he says. And Paul answered and says, what mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready not to be bound only but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew the will of God, and he was not going to allow people coming to him and saying, hey, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to die. Is it possible that it is God's will sometime, somewhere, somehow, for you to actually die for him? Yeah, yeah. Circumstances can lie to you. Missionaries often get a hold of us. They'll say, preacher, uh, this or that has happened, and I think we're going to move back to the United States. And I say, wait a minute. Remember your original call. Has anything changed from your original call? No. Do the people still need Jesus there? Yes. Uh, have you really seen anything dramatic change since you've been there? No. Are people still lost? Yes. Why would you come back to the United States? Well, 
my kids have gone and I got grandkids in the United States and they're having kids and my wife wants to see them. And they get out of the will of God. It's easy to get out of the will of God. Mature people can get out of the will of God. These will help you. I hope they help you. Seek first the Bible, folks. Know the Word of God. That's going to put you in good stead. 95% of what you need will be there. Seek the Holy Spirit's guidance, no doubt about it. But be so careful that that agrees with what you read in the Word of God. Seek godly counsel. Go to your pastor. Go to people that you know serve, serve the Lord and love the Lord. Ask them to pray about it. Ask, tell them your situation. Ask them what, they're, what they think you ought to do. And then lastly, but be careful, look at your circumstances. And that, what is God guiding me to do? May God give you wisdom and may he help you find his will. But God can tell you this, there's no worse place to be than outside the will of God. They say the safest place in the whole world is in the center of the will of God. Father, help us this morning. May, may you just teach your people. May you guide your folks. May we have wisdom from heaven. Lord Jesus, help us to put our hand to the plow, read the Word of God, put it to our memory, uh, ingrain it in our souls. May the Holy Spirit then give us wisdom and understanding and knowledge of it. Father, help us to find authorities that have been proven and, and been tested and to come up under their wisdom and, and, and uh, as the Bible says, uh, their authority. May, may they give us guidance. And Lord Jesus, then may you help us to read our circumstances, but be so careful that we not make decisions out of fear, but out of love and out of power and out of a sound mind. Father, we pray that your people today would be given some comfort here. There's many voices in this world, many voices, voices from every direction and all levels. But may we understand your voice out of all those voices. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you can contact us at gospelbaptistchurch.com for our website. Or go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church, Bonita Springs, Florida. Or call the office at 239-947-1285. Thank you. God bless.